It's good to be here with you this morning, and I'll tell you what, things can change fast, can't they? It is good for us to come together, whether you're here physically or online, to be reminded that in a world of chaos, God does not change. Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and tomorrow. Jesus was not surprised by all the change that happened this past week. He was not surprised by a virus. He is still on his throne today. And I am blown away constantly by God in his providence, how he lines up the passage of scripture that, uh, he, that, that we, we plan this like months and months in advance, where we're going to be preaching or what we're going to be preaching through. And in his providence this week, we're talking about the power of mercy, which is something our world desperately needs today. And so uh, Perry, at the end of the service, is going to talk through just our game plan as a church as our world is changing drastically right now. But right now, in this moment, my prayer is that we could just forget about all of that and focus completely on the mercy of God in this passage. And so if you would, open up your Bibles to Luke chapter 18. We've been walking through Luke for some time now. If you've got one of our Bibles, it's on page 972. And we're going to be focusing in on starting in verse 35 and going through verse 43. Now, we just came from a passage where Jesus has, had just predicted his own death and resurrection for the third time. And once again, his disciples didn't get it. And it's because they were spiritually blinded. We talked about that last week. That they were spiritually blinded to fully seeing the significance of what Jesus was saying. And I wonder, I, I, perhaps Luke intended us to see some irony in today's passage. Where we have... A man who is physically blind, but can see spiritually who Jesus really is. And so last week we have the disciples who could physically see, but they were spiritually blinded. And now today we have a man who is physically blinded, but spiritually he can see better than the disciples can, it seems like. And I wonder if Luke, as he's writing this story has in mind another story that he would write in his sequel in the book of Acts where you have Saul, who's a Pharisee, who becomes Paul, the great missionary, who could physically see, but then on the road to Damascus, as he's going to persecute Christians, Christ shows up, blinds him physically so that he could see spiritually. And so my prayer today is that God would continue to open up our eyes, our spiritual eyes, to see the significance of His mercy and the power of it. So would you pray with me one more time as we dive into this passage? Father, I echo Glenn's prayer in recognizing that in the chaotic world that we live in, we desperately need you. We need your mercy. We need the eyes of our hearts to be open to see the significance of your mercy that you offer. And you, 
you have called us to share that mercy with others. And I pray that as we meditate on your mercy, it would fill us up and overflow out of us and that we would shine brighter than ever. As the world gets darker, I pray that we would shine brighter than ever for your glory. Open our eyes to your word. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, pick up with me in verse 35. As he, Jesus, drew near to Jericho, a blind man was sitting by the roadside begging. And hearing a crowd going by, he inquired what this meant. And they told him, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by. And he cried out, Jesus, son of David, have mercy on me. And those who were in the front rebuked him, telling him to be silent. But he cried out all the more, Son of David, have mercy on me. And Jesus stopped and commanded him to be brought to him. And when he came near, he asked him, What do you want me to do for you? And he said, Lord, let me re recover my sight. And Jesus said to him, Recover your sight. Your faith has made you well. And immediately he recovered his sight and followed him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. And so here we have Jesus walking towards Jerusalem, right? And they come upon Jericho. It's just east of Jerusalem. Jesus and his disciples, there's a crowd with them. They come upon this blind man who's sitting upon the side of the road as a beggar. And in Mark's account, we actually find out the name of this man. His name is Bartimaeus, the son of Timaeus. And periodically, the gospel writers would drop these random names in there because they wanted people to be able to check out their stories. And so they, that's how they did it. And so somebody could actually go and find this person and to confirm that this actually happened. And so somebody tells this guy that, look, Jesus of Nazareth is passing by, and immediately this blind beggar begins to cry out, Son of David, have mercy on me, and he catches the attention of Jesus. Why, do he, why does he catch the attention of Jesus? I think it's significant that he calls him the Son of David. That's what I think caught the attention of Jesus. It's significant because the Son of David was a messianic title. Uh, 2 Samuel chapter 7 God promised David that one day an offspring of his would come and sit on his throne and he would establish his forever kingdom. At the beginning of the New Testament, the genealogies of, of Jesus uh, make a point that the lineage of Jesus goes back to David. The, the Pharisees, when they heard other people calling Jesus, the son of David, they became indignant because they knew what it meant. And this blind beggar saw what the Pharisees could not see, that Jesus Christ is the Messiah, the Christ, the, the offspring of David, the Savior. And so this story is a really, it's a great reminder that, that Jesus is a, a merciful king. Okay, so he's sitting on the throne of David, offspring of David, but he shows his mercy to the least of these in this passage. Often people think of Jesus and they think of, well, he's, he's a really good teacher or he's a good counselor. What would Jesus do? Wear bracelets. They, maybe they think of him as Santa Claus. He gives good gifts. 
Or some people, they look at God, and, and especially in times like this, and they think that, well, God is just a judge who's here to condemn us, or he's distant and he really doesn't care about us at all. But what we see in Scripture is that, that God is a, is a God who is a, a king who is merciful. That, that's on, he's on a mission to rescue his people from, from our sin and from our, our misery. Listen to how God describes himself to Moses, and this is Exodus 34, 6. The Lord, the Lord, a God merciful and gracious, slow to anger and abounding in steadfast love and faithfulness, keeping steadfast love for thousands, forgiving iniquity and transgression and sin, but who will by no means clear the guilty. And so in that passage, you hear God's justice there at the very end, but the vast majority of the way that God describes himself is filled with language of compassion and mercy and grace. He's a merciful king. And this blind beggar gets that. And so he cries out to Jesus for mercy. He comes to Jesus very similar to what we saw earlier in this chapter, like the children or the tax collector that was praying in the, the parable that Jesus shared, he comes completely dependent, not on his own righteousness, but on, on the mercy of God. And the Bible uses the word mercy in a, in, in a few different senses. And I think it's, it's wise, since we see this pattern in Luke right now where he's emphasizing the mercy of God. We've seen it over the last couple chapters, actually. I think it's wise for us to dig into, okay, what is the mercy of God really? And so the Bible uses the word mercy a few different ways. It's often paired with justice, mercy, God's mercy and justice. And so we think of mercy in the legal sense. Uh, often you hear that mercy is not getting what you deserved. And usually when it's mentioned like that, it's compared to grace. So, so grace is getting what you don't deserve. And mercy is not getting what you actually do deserve. But also in the Bible, we see mercy in another sense. Uh, you see mercy as pity or compassion. And I, I think that's the sense of mercy that we see in this passage here. Uh, and so if you compare, with that in mind, if you compare grace and mercy, think about it this way. Grace is God's response to the sinner in his guilt and rebellion. Mercy is God's response to the sinner who is suffering on account of his sin and rebellion. Let me say that again. Grace is God's response to the sinner in his guilt and rebellion. Mercy is God's response to the sinner who is suffering on account of his guilt and rebellion. Let me put it another way. Mercy is God's revealing love, or I'm sorry, uh, yeah, relieving, like he's, he's relieving you from pain and suffering. It's God's relieving love poured out upon man who is in deep misery and trouble. Put it another way, mercy is a compassion that moves to rescue someone from their trouble. One more way, mercy is a relief from distress. And so the parable of the Good Samaritan is maybe the best picture in the Bible of God's mercy where you've got this Jewish guy who's robbed, left for dead, and it's the Samaritan of all people that comes and rescues this man and takes, and takes care of him, sets him up, and pays for this man to, to uh, have a place to stay, basically uses his own money to save this, this person. 
It's a great picture of mercy. And, and I don't know if you remember this, and this is God's providence, but that was in Luke chapter 10, which I preached. I had to look back, uh, but it was January 27th of last winter that we were preaching through Luke chapter 10, which happened to be four days after we had decided to open up this thing called the White Flag Shelter. And God used that passage to really affirm what we were doing and spur us on to do even more, to truly live up to our name, Mercy Hill. Many of you here today are here because of that. Uh, I, I love this. Arthur Pink, he talks about three aspects of God's mercy. Uh, the, first of all, there's the general mercy for all of creation. Everything that's alive, plants, animals, everything, receives some of God's mercy. Psalm 145.9, the Lord is good to all. And his mercies are over all of his works. And so if you're alive, if you're breathing, God's given you some mercy. But then there's a more special mercy to, to humans, believers and unbelievers. And so Matthew 5.45, for he causes the sun to rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. And so humans are made in God's image, and so there's a special mercy that's given to humans. It gives us a, 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 a resilience in times like this, right? We're made in God's image, and so uh, we will care, even unbelievers will care for one another. And so there's certain, this is why we, we love life, and, and we fight for life. And so there's a mercy that's given that's special to humans, but then there's a sovereign mercy, a third level of mercy to those who he has adopted as his own. These are the heirs of salvation. These are the people who have trusted in Jesus Christ as their, as their Savior and follow him as, as Lord. And this is the sweetest kind of mercy. 1 Peter 2, 9 and 10. Peter says, but you are the chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people of his own possession, that you may, be, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of the darkness into marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. This is the kind of mercy that we long for. This is the kind of mercy that we're, we're, we're longing for our world to see. This is the kind of mercy you only experience through a relationship with Jesus Christ. When you see the depth of the love that he's poured out for us on the cross, that his blood saves us from our sins. Thomas Watson points out that mercy makes all of God's attributes sweeter. You think about it, holiness without mercy or justice without mercy is pretty scary. But with mercy, they're sweet comforts. In the Psalms, God, God's most highlighted attribute is mercy. Psalm 25, 6, Remember your mercy, O Lord, and your steadfast love, for they have been from old. You see, the psalmist constantly praising God and crying out for more mercy. Psalm 28, 2, Hear the voice of my pleas for mercy when I cry to you for help. When I lift up my hands towards your most holy sanctuary. Psalm 28, 6. Blessed be the Lord, for he has heard the voice of my pleads for mercy. Psalm 38. To you, O Lord, I cry, and to the Lord I plead for mercy. Again, Psalm 30, 10. Hear, O Lord, and be merciful to me, O Lord. Be my helper. 
Psalm 40, 11. As for you, O Lord, you will not restrain your mercy from me. Your steadfast love and your faithfulness will ever preserve me. Psalm 51.1, we read it earlier in the call to worship. Have mercy on me, David says. O God, according to your steadfast love, according to your abundant mercy, blot out my transgressions. One more. Uh, This is a good one to memorize. Psalm 57.1. Psalm 57.1 says, Be merciful to me, O God. Be merciful to me, for in you my soul takes refuge. In the shadow of your wings I will take refuge till the storms of destruction pass by. It's a timely verse right now. And I could go on and on. The psalmists knew the sweetness of the mercy of God, and so they pleaded for more of it. And Jesus reminds us in this passage that it's our faith that is actually the conduit of receiving more of God's mercy and understanding more of God's mercy. It's our faith. Jesus heals this blind beggar and then says, your faith has made you well. Now, faith healers love passages like this because in the prosperity gospel, they're They need some kind of mechanism. And so faith for them is more of a force. Uh, And so this passage like this, if they can't heal you, they blame that it's on you. It's that you lacked faith. That's not what Jesus is saying here. The problem with faith healers is that they encourage you to put faith in faith rather than faith in our merciful King Jesus. See, the, the source of this man's healing is not his faith. It's the mercy of Jesus. That's the source. The conduit of that mercy was the faith. His faith was the instrument that that brought the mercy. And so what Jesus is highlighting here is that this man didn't work to earn this healing. He was freely given it. Uh, he, He didn't deserve it. It was his faith that was the instrument, the conduit, so that he would receive it. And so Jesus is highlighting that, look, this man didn't deserve any kind of mercy. And and really, Scripture makes it clear that even our faith is a gift from God. Uh, Ephesians 2, 8, 9, For by grace you've been saved through faith, and that, not of yourself, it's a gift of God. Again, Philippians 1, 29, To you it has been granted to believe. And so even faith itself is a gift. Faith is is not a source of this man's healing. It's a conduit. And notice also that Jesus is not simply healing this man's physical condition. And so he could have just simply said to this man, your faith has healed you. And there's a perfectly fine Greek word that he could have used that simply means physical healing. It's the word therapeuo. We we get our word therapy from it. Uh, It means just physical healing. It's used all over the New Testament. He could have used that word, but Jesus doesn't use that word. He doesn't use therapeuo here. He uses another Greek word, sozo. And so that that phrase, made you well, it's one word in the Greek. It's sozo. And it's an all-encompassing word for salvation. And it can mean a physical healing or physical salvation, but most often it's used to describe a spiritual deliverance. And so Jesus is saying to this man, you're not just physically healed, but spiritually you're saved. And this is the power of mercy. We see the mercy of God in this passage 
miraculously heal this blind man, but also it has the power to deliver him from the kingdom of Satan to the kingdom of Christ. You see, the mercy of God has the power to free you from any addiction, but more than that, it has the power to bring you from death to life. Listen, the mercy of God means that you never have to be hopeless, no matter what chaos is happening in our world. Another good passage to memorize, Lamentations 3, 22 through 24. The steadfast love of the Lord never ceases. His mercies never come to an end. They are new every morning. Great is your faithfulness. The Lord is my portion, says my soul. Therefore, I will hope in you. And so today, I want you to wrestle with, do you, how... How fully do you understand God to be a merciful king? How fully do you understand God as a merciful king? Because if you understand him as a merciful king, you're going to be constantly crying out like this blind beggar for more mercy. How often do you cry out for God's mercy? Or do you look for other places for relief? When suffering comes... Where do you run? How do you typically respond? Do you you get angry and throw a fit and grumble? Do you look for ways to escape? You look to to screens or to drugs or alcohol or you to isolate yourself? Do you you become overwhelmed and, and anxious and paralyzed with fear? Or do you run to Jesus, trusting that he has promised to comfort and relieve and give wisdom in the midst of trials? When temptations come, how do you respond? Do you try to white-knuckle it and and just resist by sheer willpower? Or do you just give in? Or do you run to Jesus, crying out for your merciful King who promises you strength and satisfaction and and a way of escape from temptation? You see, when the rest of the world is panicking, God's mercy says, I've got this. My perfect love casts out fear. Jesus says, cast all your fears on me. My my yoke is easy. My burden is light. My my peace I give to you, a peace that surpasses all understanding. And notice the results of God's mercy in this passage. Back in verse 43, and immediately he recovers his sight and follows him, glorifying God. And all the people, when they saw it, gave praise to God. That's the power of mercy. Immediately, he's healed, and what does he do? He follows Jesus. He drops everything, and he follows Jesus. Because when you get a taste of God's mercy, when you get a taste of his sovereign mercy, that sweet mercy, you always want more of it. When your life has been radically changed by the mercy of God, when he delivers you from the kingdom of, of darkness to the kingdom of Light, you always want more mercy. And the good news is that there is always more. This man who was physically healed, he only experienced a drop of the ocean of mercy that's available to us. And notice also the ripple effect. When God gave a drop of mercy to this man, it impacted him greatly, but others quickly noticed. And And they saw the change, and what did they do? They saw this man, 
seeing again, and he's glorifying God, and what do they do? They praise God too. There's a ripple effect. The only thing more contagious, I think, than the coronavirus right now is authentic worship of a merciful King Jesus. When the world sees us not responding in panic and not responding in in, in just utter selfishness that we're seeing around the world right now, they see Jesus. And they say, you know what? I need some of that in my life. God is a good God, a merciful God, and I want to see that. That's why I love hearing, when we have Sundays where we share testimonies, and God willing, in a few weeks, we'll, we'll have another one of those Sundays where uh, people will stand up and, and share their testimonies. That's essentially the story of God's mercy being poured out on you. Your te- in fact, I would encourage you, uh, during this season where you've got a little bit of extra time, maybe, because kids' activities have been canceled or, or things are just different, if you're in the health field, I'm sorry, you're going to be working a little bit harder probably <laughs> right now. But if you've got a little extra time during this season, I would encourage you to, if you haven't done this recently, rewrite your testimony. Uh, refine it. Share it. Uh, if, if you're going through the membership class, this is a good time. I mean, use that time to really think through. I, I cannot wait to hear your testimonies. Uh, I want to give you a few other, as we're walking out of here, I want to give you just some practical advice uh, as we're walking out back into March Madness, or, or if you're a basketball fan, March Sadness right now, uh, there, there are ways. I want, I want us to, as a church, be a conduit of God's mercy, right? If you've received the mercy of God, you, you now have the opportunity and really the responsibility to share that mercy with other people. And so how do we do that? What does that look like? Well, one, if you have extra time, leverage that time. See, this is what's going to happen. When a crisis like this happens, we can go one of two directions, right? Uh, If we go through a season where we have to be more separated from one another, we can either create some really bad habits during that time and we can look at a screen and become more addicted to a screen, or we can leverage that time to lean into our relationship with God and to find new ways to connect with one another. And my hope is that if that happens and we, are, we have to go through a season where we're more separated, it will only cause us to want to be together even more when it's all over. That was one of the best things that Cam and I did. Right before we got engaged, we, sent, we spent a summer apart from each other. She was in Colorado, I was in Michigan. And that only served to teach us how much we really loved one another. And so God will use this for his glory. Like I said, he is not surprised by any of this. And so it's good for us during this time to leverage the extra time to meditate on the mercy that has already been poured out to us. Okay, if we want to be a conduit of God's mercy, we need to understand it. And so I would encourage you over the next several weeks, and I'm going to be doing this in my own, my own quiet times, is I'm going to be studying the mercy of God and what it means. I'm going to be doing Bible studies on what the mercy of God looks like in, in different people's lives. And, and I'll even, I'll, I'll push some resources out to you, and Perry will do the same. If you find resources on the mercy of God, share them with us or share them with other people. But let's be a church that studies the mercy of God over the next few weeks. If you're a student and you're all of a sudden a homeschool child now, uh, block out time where you're studying the mercy of God 
in your quiet times. Parents, leverage this time. Create new, better habits. And I'm going to, as a, as a, as a dad, I, I need to do better with this, and I'm going to do better with this over the next few weeks. Set time aside where you're, you're praying with your kids, and you're, you're reading the Bible with your kids and studying the mercy of God together. Model and teach your kids about the mercy of God. Uh, another way that we can leverage this season as we study the mercy of God, a way, a way that you can be a conduit of the mercy of God is to forgive others that have hurt you. Uh, forgiveness is a mercy that we've received. If you're a Christian, you have received more mercy from Jesus than you will ever have to give somebody else. Mercy, or forgiveness, it's a mercy that every Christian should be able to give more than anybody else. And so offer forgiveness. Love even your enemies, is what Christ says. And the next, another way that we can be a conduit of mercy is by rescuing those who are suffering. Uh, today, there's a lot of people that are suffering and may not even be physically suffering yet, but they're just anxiety is overwhelming to them. Be merciful towards them. Encourage them. Reach out to them. Care for one We ought to be checking on one another more right now, especially those that are at high risk. You should be checking on single moms. They have to go to work. We should be offering to go and run errands for people, watch each other's kids if necessary. This is a time to come together. This is not a time to separate. This is time for Mark 12 to step up. If you haven't been very connected to Mark 12, Mark 12 uh, stands at a, at, a, at a place in our community to be able to help even more during this time. We're, we're going to be ma- meeting later on, even today, to discuss how that looks and what, that, what we're going to be doing to try to mobilize as many people to, to be a blessing to our community. And so if you haven't signed up for the newsletter or Mark 12 and like them on Facebook, I, I would encourage you to do that. But let's be a church this season that is a blessing to our community, that shines brighter than ever. And, and maybe the best way that you can do this during this season is take the opportunity to help others trust and follow in Jesus Christ. Share the gospel. There is no greater joy than being able to be a part of, play a part of God opening up someone's spiritual eyes to see the significance of the gospel and the mercy that's available to them. There's no greater joy. And so right now, there are people that are confused, they're frustrated. Help them know how to understand this season in light of the gospel. We have the opportunity to help people realize our hope does not rest in stockpiling loads of hand sanitizer and toilet paper. Our hope lies in the saving blood of Jesus Christ. And so we're going to go into a, into a time of prayer where I want, I want us to get together and pray. Uh, you can pray as an individual or with the people that are next to you, but I want you to spend a, a few moments in prayer, specifically for those who have been infected already in our world, for healing, for the families of those who have, have died, comfort for them, for those who are, are paralyzed with fear right now. Pray for protection, especially 
for those who are the most vulnerable. Pray for unity in our country and in the world. And most of all, pray that people would be drawn to the mercy of Jesus Christ. And so I, I want you to just bow your heads and get together. You can pray out loud. You can pray by yourself. And then in a few minutes, I'll, I'll close this in prayer and we'll, we'll share communion together. But would you spend a few moments in prayer?